and welcome to Goblet of Wine, a drunk in Harry Potter podcast. I'm Hannah. And I'm Charlie, and we're two 20 somethings rereading our previously favourite childhood book, this time with added alcohol and this. And, and this is her sisters, the band from the mid noughties They're going to take your mama out all night. <laughs> In today's episode, although I'm convinced we haven't said the first half, we are reading the second half of chapter 23 of Harry Potter and the... Half. Half-blood prince. Horcruxes. And I'm Neil. And unfortunately, he's here. Um, enjoy. Goodbye. Thanks, everyone. All right, team, this episode jumps in straight where the other one left off. There is an extreme lack of context that I'm about to jump into. So we're just still talking about the Horcruxes and Dumbledore theorising about what the different Horcruxes are. We are now extremely drunk and for unknown reasons, Charlie is lying across our laps. Hi everyone, Charlie here. Sorry about this little insert. Hello. Um, we basically wanted to put something in here to address the recent announcement of the Harry Potter TV show that HBO has commissioned. Despite the fact that me and Hannah frequently joke about the fact that they ever make a TV show, we need to be consultants on it. We've said before and we're saying again that this is actually something that we are very against due to JK Rowling's involvement. So we're a part of a group of Harry Potter fans called Harry Potter Fans Against Transphobia that have signed a letter and are petitioning HBO to axe the creation of this series. Now I'm sure there are a lot of you out there thinking but JK Rowling has so much money already like what does it really matter? So I wanted to really quickly address that and why we think that boycotting any official Harry Potter IP is so important. So there's three reasons that continuing to support Harry Potter IP are bad. The first is that it continues to give JK Rowling a platform, it keeps her within the zeitgeist, it keeps her relevant and it means that more and more people are going to hear and listen to her opinions and her spreading of misinformation that she does very widely. The second is that it sends the message to society, to the trans people in your life, that it is okay to be a bigot and it is not okay. But when you continue to support Harry Potter IP, you're basically telling society, trans people in your life, friends and family, people you don't even know are trans, as well as telling organisations like HBO that it's okay to continue to work with people like JK Rowling. And it isn't. The third is, of course, financially like Yes, J.K. Rowling is a billionaire. There is no making her poor at this point, and that's really not the point of it. The point is that it's such a personal thing. I feel like you really have to vote with your money nowadays because capitalism only listens to money. And to me, knowing that I was giving money that would then directly fund transphobia for me is personally something I'm not interested in. Even if I know that that transphobia is going to get funded regardless, I sleep better at night knowing that I am not directly funding it and that I am not making it possible for companies like HBO to think, okay, we can still make money at this IP, so we're going to continue to platform JK Rowling. Aside from the political reasons, do we really need a TV show? This is not something that any of us are seriously asking for. I feel like the original Harry Potter films for us are enjoyable as adaptions and as nostalgia and really it's not been long enough. There's just absolutely no need for a Harry Potter TV show at this point. It's something I'm personally not interested in as well as politically disagreeing with it. And you might be thinking, okay, but why sign this petition? Realistically, they're probably not going to axe it and that's true. 
The petition probably won't actually stop this happening, but what the petition does do is send a message to society, again, to trans people in your life, to organisations, that there are still people that don't agree with this and that will stand up and stand on the right side of history. It's so much more about sending that really important message that as a Harry Potter community, we are not going to stand by and let this kind of bigotry stand which is the exact message of the harry potter books ironically so we would love it if you would join us and going to the link below where you can find the petition to sign share it within your friends and family your social media communities uh educate those around you on why it's so important to deplatform jk rowling don't watch the show when it comes out. Don't support any official Harry Potter IP and continue to be this amazing uh, community of ex-Harry Potter fans that we are. So thank you so much for listening to this little intermission. Um, as I thank you, here's Todd. Todd, say thank you. Basically, it's the theory that Nagini the Snake is a Horcrux. Yes. He then says, Harry's like, well, how would you know that? And Dumbledore is like, well, I think that he uses significant deaths to create Horcruxes because he kills so much. You mm. actually <laughs> can't record like that. Get the fuck out. No, I up. can. The microphone's right here. I can't see my notes anymore. Look, Neil, you don't need notes. But <laughs> I never make notes. I've actually lied to Hannah for like four years. You cannot I record an episode like this. <sighs> Get up. This is actually homophobic. <laughs> Ooh, this could be the worst yet. <laughs> I hate strawberry. Yummy. Oh. This is a contender for worst one yet. It's oh, I've not tried it. It's really horrible. What's wrong with me? I like that. We've got, clearly got opposite tastes in terrible drinks. So, basically, Dumbledore is talking about the fact that Voldemort uses significant deaths. This is something I'd heard was a massive plot hole in Harry Potter, and I'd never kind of addressed because I wanted to wait till we get there in the podcast. But I'd heard that when J.K. Rowling was actually asked about it, she tried to name everyone, and there's one that she couldn't get, and she just went, oh, he just killed a random muggle homeless man. So I then kind of went through That's very uh, American Psycho. Yeah. yeah. So the... the, what, the was there also a kitten in a... Uh... <laughs> oh, God, what's the word? What's the word? Money wall machine thing. <laughs> An ATM? ATM, thank you. Money wall machine Money wall thing. machine. To be fair, in England, we don't call it an ATM. We call no. it a hole in the wall. No, we call so... it a cash point. What are you talking about? Who calls it a hole in the wall, then? Uh, that's actually that's, that's a TV a show. <laughs> Have you bring on the wall? Oh, bring, on, bring the wall. on the wall! Bring on the wall! Does that still exist? That no, was the best I, show. They should gone. bring it back. That was, it was brilliant. Um, uh, the late Dale Winton presented that. I think. Is it? Oh, yeah. dead. For yeah. anyone unfamiliar with the TV show Hole Hole in the Wall. It was a literal TV show where the entire concept was that you would stand at the edge of like a pit of like foam, I'm guessing. in some episodes. And a wall would come at you with like a Tom and Jerry style like shape in the wall. Mm. And you would have to make the shape. Make the shape. In like a few seconds. So some was like a serpent you'd just have to dive through but the hard levels was literally a body position you had to was and it celebrities to, or was it people? There were different. There was a. I think it was mostly celebrities. Mm. How do you? How on earth? Hole in the wall. Bring do you on like, the wall. Email a celebrity. Like, will you come on the show, celebrity hole in the wall? 
Oh, if he can get them to do the Masked Singer, they can do anything. Okay, so significant deaths. Sorry. So um, homeless person. To talk That's about the one, to. two, three, four, five, six intentional Horcruxes. We have the diary, the ring, the locket, the cup, the diadem, the diadem, and Nagini. The diadem, the diadem, the, the, diadem, <laughs> the and Although Nagini is fifteen years after the diadem. Yeah. So. I couldn't match them up perfectly because the order they're made doesn't quite match the order that they're most significant. But the Riddle Seniors were murdered. Now, presumably, he used his father to make... The first Horcrux was the diary, but let's say it was more significant for him to turn Riddle Senior into... The locket, maybe. Or the ring. Yeah. Myrtle was was murdered... Now, this one's weird because she was murdered by the Basilisk, Mm. but... J.K. Rowling explicitly says that Myrtle was one of the people that was murdered to make It's the also Horcrux. weird because I don't understand how Myrtle is a significant death. I, I guess it's his it first, the first, first murder death. with... No. That's, the, that's his first kill, no? Does he, does he open the Chamber of Secrets before he murders his own parents? I think so. What year does he open the Chamber of Secrets in versus what year does he murder his parents in? They're, that, they're close together. On the basilisk thing as well, I guess if you're commanding something to kill, that's it is a murder. It would rip your soul into. Yeah. So let's say Legally he uses. Speaking. Let's say he uses Myrtle to create the diary. That would make the most sense, yeah. right? He Myrtles. He Myrtles. He Myrtles. I'm going to kill myself. Absolutely Myrtles. He murders Morfin. Now Morfin could go into making the ring or, or the, the locket. locket. Both would be significant because the locket was stolen from Morfin's family, but the ring was also a significant object. Yeah. Okay, so the Chamber of Secrets was first opened in the school year 42 to 43, mm-hmm. it okay. says. Open it in the middle of World War Two. it will make more chaos. Oh, that's... <sighs> and she specifically died in June 43. Okay, June yeah. 43. And then what, when does his parents so die? So when do, yeah, Tom Riddle Sr. That's just made me realise that if the Fantastic Beasts films do continue, we're going to start encroaching on that timeline as well. Oh, God, yeah. Uh, World War Two, World War like, Two. Uh, it's in... the same year. Oh, okay. So they don't know what's first. Okay, fine. But like, if fine, slight tangent. <clears throat> if the Fantastic Beast films go into World War Two, which they seem to be aiming for, they've been canned. Well, yeah, but let's say they haven't been. What was her plan? I like, know, but they've been canned. Because Riddle was doing all this while World War Two was just happening. Surely he was aware of Grindelwald. Yeah, and his. Oh, so dumb. Okay. We'll park Fantastic Beasts. So then we have... Okay, so let's say one of those three I've just mentioned made the locket. So then for Hepzibah, who believes she is a descendant of Hufflepuff, mm-hmm. her murder went into the cup. Then we have the diadem. And this is where the plot hole comes from, that J.K. Rowling said in the books that significant deaths made all of their deaths, but then she couldn't name a significant death the diadem. This kind of annoys me because she then, like, basically in a panic in an interview says, oh, it was a random homeless smuggle man. Before this, throughout the book, she has named multiple significant deaths. The Pruitts. Mary, um, I can't remember the name I was saying earlier, who's famous on TikTok. Oh, yes. People impersonate her. Yep. Mary McDonald. All these other significant deaths. All of them could have contributed to the diadem. So, mm. like, I don't believe that there was an insignificant death that contributed to the diadem. Yeah, and there could also have just been anyone that, like, was as significant for him but just wasn't relevant for Dumbledore to teach Harry about. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I put down, like, like... It could have been, like, someone that he just really fucking hated at Hogwarts. <laughs> well, exactly. But I also put down, like, the diadem could have been the Pruitts. Like, it annoys me that the Pruitts aren't 
expanded on more. They're mm. Molly's two brothers. They're an important part in that Harry gets their watch. Like, I think that's such a mm. key part of the plot, that Harry gets their watch. Why couldn't have one of the Pruitt's death been what created the Horcrux for the diadem? Mm. Yeah. And then Frank is what created the Horcrux for Nagini. Yeah. So I noted it all down. This is where the plot point comes from. It just annoys me that in this interview, she wasn't prepared. Is that the name of the muggle guy, Frank? Frank, yeah. Or also mm. in the interview, just be like, don't know. Yeah, just say, oh, I'd have to check my notes on that. Or, yeah. she, like, could have said, or she could have said, do you know what? He wanted it to be significant, but he got so obsessed with murder that mm. at that point it wasn't anymore. Yeah. I, I think this is one of the problems with saying that the author is the absolute be-all and end-all of canon. Because in that in that interview, she clearly... Bless you. Bless you. She clearly just didn't know in that moment. Yeah. And that's okay. That's okay. But it's the fact that she shrugged off some terrible answer and mm. it's now being taken as canon. Yeah. But that's why I bothered working it out. And yes. I, I think it was the Pruitts or Mary or, mm. or someone who was important to the canon. Also, on this, on the significant deaths thing, I love that every single seed for Harry being a Horcrux is planted in this chapter. Oh my god, yeah. That's actually really well done from her. Oh, it's, it's so all there. good. It's all there. It's so good. Within a couple of paragraphs, you could figure it out if you wanted to. Dumbledore is so lucky that Harry is not intelligent. Oh yeah. my god, yeah. If this yeah. was her... if And, you know, I think we had a discussion before why doesn't Dumbledore just have Hermione and Ron in these lessons? Mm-hmm. Because he's like openly says yes tell them everything Hermione figure it out so just like actually have them but yeah like if Harry was as intelligent as Hermione or if, if Hermione was there I can just picture Hermione going so couldn't Harry be a Horcrux mm-hmm. yeah. and then Double will be like fuck <laughs> <laughs> shut up bitch because <laughs> that is like it's almost, in hindsight, really obvious. Oh my god, yeah. Especially when like, he's talking about parcel tongue, it's like... Yeah, rah, 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 rah. yeah and, and when he's like... And he was clearly trying to create his final Horcrux the night he tried to kill you. Hmm. Mm, yeah, no, yeah. it is. But at the time, as a kid, I had absolutely no idea. And that's the joy of it. At the end of the day, we should view it as the age we were first reading it yes. and the brilliant shock of when we had that and Harry also, was a Horcrux. And also, this is just how good plot twists are written. You should be able to theoretically yes. figure it out. Yes, 100%. Well, again, not- we've said it so many times, but it's a difference in Doctor Who between yes. Russell T Davies and yes. Stephen Moffat's writing. And, yes. and yes, yes, it's yes. when uh, George R. R. Martin said in that interview, mm-hmm. if the fans have worked out that it's the butler, the butler did, it. did yes. it, and you then get angry, so write it in post that the butler didn't do it you have ruined your own story literally yeah planning stories right now i keep thinking to myself shit like it's too obvious like you can work Mm. out the ending and i have to tell myself good that's okay yeah good a good reader should work it out that's the joy of you writing that's the utter joy of you giving something to the world that someone Mm. is so invested that they work it out that's that's happiness. Like, yeah. isn't mm-hmm. that amazing that someone would read your own work so closely that yeah. someone could yeah. work that out? And also, like, sometimes it's like, it's a good thing if someone can work it out because that's the hook. That's 100%. the grip. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. the thing that I'm writing is very much like, oh, like, magic's supposed to be, like, banned and not, like, kind mm-hmm. of, not not real, but, like, doesn't exist anymore, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And the entire first book plot twist is supposed to be... Yes, it does. Yeah, of yeah. course. Which, course. if you didn't have that in there, the yeah. book would be fucking boring. Yeah, it yeah, has yeah. to be obvious that that is and, coming. And this is where I feel like we've not only mentioned him already this episode, but before when I've been on, Rian Johnson is amazing at this. Knives Out and Glass Onion yeah. both have everything you need to figure it out in the first 10 minutes or so. Yeah. Like, 
and especially Knives Out, that opening scene where she's playing Go yeah. with uh, Christopher Plummer's character, you can. Oh, I, I, I don't want to actually. Plummer. I don't want to spoil anything for anyone that hasn't watched it. But he, you can figure it all out from that scene. 100%. Every single plot point is there. But the first time mm. you watch it, you wouldn't even think to register that scene. But it's that it's that rewarding of the second watches. Yes. Mm. And yeah, if a few extremely intelligent, well-read people get it on the first good. read, then good for them. Well, people were yeah. saying well that the done. ending of Glass Onion was too obvious. I'm like, yeah, that's the point. It was a glass onion. Yeah. yeah. You could see to the centre immediately. Yeah. That's the whole point. You are rewarding people who are media literate. That's yes. good. Yes. Yeah. I hate this thing of let's trick the whole audience. Yes. Your point with any with with forming any sort of media is mm. not to shock your point should be to reward and if yes. a percentage of your readership or watchership work it out then you should be feel privileged that they have read yeah. enough that they work it out people talk about the red wedding in game of thrones as a great moment for subverting expectations and i think while you're correct you're also missing the point of the Red Wedding. It the, was workable. The Red Wedding is consequences. A hundred What we're not used to in mass media is consequences yeah. for a character yeah. doing something. 100%. And the reason it subverted expectations is because you weren't expecting consequences. Yeah. Yeah. But we got them. Yeah. And yeah, you got them I, so hard. Because I think media falls into the trap of constantly not having consequences. We yes. just finally watched yeah. the end of Ozark. Yes. And I think we have watched especially the last two seasons, yeah. and got angry at the lack of consequences. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Yeah, and I think that, like, lack of consequences has become a big thing in, like, media nowadays because mm -hmm. people want you to, like, root for a character yes. and they're, like, mm. afraid to actually... And it's what really annoys me, like, the lack of deaths in things yes. now. Oh, yeah. Yes, kill people. kill people. Kill people. Yes. That's the bravery to kill someone. Like, oh, we've signed on this actor for three seasons. Don't do that. Sign them on for one at a time, yeah. and if you need to kill them, kill yeah. them. Let me hurt. Like, yes. Let me have that hurt. Yeah. Give it to me. Particularly like with the series that me and Hannah have both recently read. Like, mm. where are the deaths? Like, deaths. Yes. Deaths yes. are a good 100%. thing, and if you don't have deaths, 100%. and even worse, my absolute pet peeve, <coughs> supernatural, is when you kill people <laughs> off to bring them back. Star Wars, though, very guilty of this. Yeah, but literally, yeah. the moment you do it once, when you like kill someone off once and bring them back. Or especially when you do it twice, but even once you do it once, mm -hmm. it takes any impact of yeah. any death away. Even if you don't bring them back, if you've already done it once, especially if you've done it twice, any death going forward mm -hmm. lacks any impact. And it cuts back to that like lack of consequences of like people are scared to actually upset people. Yes. And, yes. and I really hope that Game of Thrones, but I, I feel like it has a bit but like not fully has mm. shown people like no people want to be like yes you just killed off the main character in the first season what the fuck like? that but is the best stunt casting of all time oh yeah. my Look, god we've yeah. got okay the, yeah, we will spoil this one because it's season one of game of thrones i'm mm. sorry no skip, if you haven't watched it this point, two ahead right now if you haven't watched it but casting sean bean as your main character and then killing him off brutally yes. perfect yes. incredible yes. because especially one of my pet peeves is whenever you're watching something where it's like either like there's someone that's like the murdering you don't know who yeah. or any kind of like thing like that and you have an a-lister playing a really small <laughs> role you're like well i know who the killer is yeah exactly yeah. exactly like, with this, and, it's the opposite it's yeah the opposite and i would say that actually knives out kind of falls into that i think it's at least okay because you don't work yeah. you don't see that it's chris evans until very close to the point yeah, yeah. but it's a bit like okay you have this massive star playing a like relatively small character and there's so many things I'm struggling to think of an actual example right now but mm. all the time I watch stuff and I'm like well they're a massive actor what are they doing in this and then I'm like oh no I know what they're doing in this like, at, least, at least half the joy with Knives Out is it's 
as much a how they do it as it is a who yes. yeah i also okay so this is where i was going to get into this disclaimer that the next jesus two and a half pages of notes oh i God. had is complimenting jk rowling so th- but this feeds <laughs> into it so i would like to say before i start any of these points for the next two and a half chapters jk rowling has turned into a piece of shit she yes. is a transphobe yes and i is. hate the person she's become i'm about to spend the next however long we spend recording mm. this complimenting her writing because i think this is one of the best chapters yeah. in mm-hmm. harry Potter. i think also not only the per not necessarily the person she's become but the person she's especially revealed herself to be exactly yeah. so i think person, when you do yeah. a deep reading of harry potter as an adult you do see it fucking coming yeah oh, um, there's yeah. elements there oh yeah. there's elements there but also i never want to view someone as like they were black and white all along mm. if they were evil now everything they've ever done is evil mm. no jk it. rowling is a shit person now yes. does that mean that this chapter she's written isn't one of the best mm. examples of fantasy writing i've ever seen no look at the number it of musicians is. over the years yeah done exactly this. i'm about to expouse about how yeah. good jk rowling's writing is for next so the I... reason i want to say this mm. is because i'm about to sit here for the next however long mm. and and, and talk about how good her writing is. Yeah. But I want to say before that, especially because, like, I feel that I'm, like, the slightly less outspoken one of us two. I hate... Because I'm a gobby little shit. I hate... <laughs> Since episode one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I hate everything that she is doing. Yes. I hate her for it's everything that she has deeply done. Deeply upsetting. It is deeply upsetting to me, and I am a straight white woman. I can't even imagine... A cis straight white man. I can't yeah. even imagine how upsetting it is to other people. Yeah. But all I can do is stand here and say, I stand by trans people. I will do everything I can do as a Harry Potter creator mm-hmm. to make this a safer space. And we try to do everything we can do. We create better resources. But we are also, and like at the moment, going to finish this podcast because people get joy from it. Mm-hmm. I'm saying that because Particularly I'm... trans people. Yeah, yeah, we have had those messages. And if anyone disagrees with that, message us, talk to us about it. We are okay. always yeah. taking we can, on the feedback We can only base it on what the trans community thinks. And right now we have, like, a significant proportion of trans listeners that, that take, like, comfort and, like, mentally rely on us to the point where I'm like, even if it was just one, I wouldn't feel right and it's something that i've gone back and forwards on a lot 100 percent thought about a lot it's not an easy choice it's never an 100 percent choice like no. i think we both agree if we ever decide and hear enough from trans people that they don't think this is right that we will we'll end stop. it tomorrow absolutely like right now we only base it off what the trans community says because that's the only voices that matter saying that i do want to now talk about my sis dad before you uh <laughs> jump into this just because Okay, you know when your your I don't know if your dad's a classic classic Dave's like mine uh, has that like one or like several things that they like tell you so many times in your life they're like little theories on life. Oh God! Oh God! One of Dave's my dad is the point system that he believes in, but I genuinely think he's right, and he says that it's much like in games when you have like the creator sim moment where you have to attribute a certain amount towards Mm. like one skill or something like that he believes that you only have say like 100 points and you might be really good at arts but that means you want to be really bad at like science or something like this because you only have 100 points and you have to balance them across different areas okay 
and so that's why a lot of the time when you get like really like massively creative people like a lot of musicians a lot of mm. artists they're deeply mentally ill because they have so many points in one area mm. that they're like lacking in another and obviously it's a really like kind of crude way of putting it but I do genuinely buy no, it, I, I into it it's like a it's like a simplified version of the truth like yeah I see yeah exactly yeah. like if you're really really good at something you you tend to be deficient somewhere else yeah. yeah and I think when it comes to JK Rowling she's really good at certain elements of writing not all mm-hmm. and then just completely devoid of any kind of humanity or ethics or like sympathy but here's the funny thing though she clearly has some ethics oh god yeah the thing is like any any but, that she had has been completely oh, sucked yeah. out by wealth like they've actually done studies on the fact that like having like extreme wealth makes mm. you like a less like sympathetic person yeah like her standpoint in these books clearly comes from mid 90s new labor centrism and that's okay that's that's totally fine yeah. Is it? it's it's well it's passable but it's the, the what she's now become for the mid 90s it was as well yes. for like a middle classes white woman in the mid 90s it's, yes. it's relatively forward thinking yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 so anyway what i'm about to get into is a load of praise for jk rowling so that's what i wanted to get before i can see you've called him dumby here and that makes me really happy <laughs> all i call him is dumby, dumby. I, I can't be able to write the full dumby name dumby that's great <laughs> dumby and Voldy, and yet she constantly says the wrong one i know <laughs> so dumbledore has been trying to drag dumby. down the horcruxes and it's getting close to finding one so they talk more about the diary lucius it turns out didn't know that the diary was a horcrux and this to me is a brilliant bit of almost retconning Mm. because it explains book two perfectly while fitting it into book six lucius didn't know it was a horcrux but he was told it would reopen the chamber of secrets i also i really enjoyed that this is in there because she didn't have to put it in there yes Mm. exactly she didn't need to do this and this was sometimes as we're going through like i make notes that i then have to like retcon my own notes because Mm. i'm like oh yeah 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 Yeah, yeah. because like earlier in this chapter i wrote like oh but like then this is a massive plot hole with like you know lucius like giving it away so easily and then i had to be like oh, scratch yeah that out. Scratch like, oh, fucking hell she's actually explaining this is, this. yeah this is the bit i didn't understand upon reading the chapter is what was voldemort's plan for the diary if not to have uh, lucius smuggle it into hogwarts that well that was the plan well then why is there a problem there isn't but this is what made mm. this the whole point is this is what made Dumbledore suspect that he'd created more than one Horcrux because he was so blasé mm. about this getting destroyed because he was his, like yeah he's definitely got because his original plan was that it was going to go into Hogwarts but when he was able to make another got it so yeah got Lucius broke... which is a really blasé way oh, to treat God, yeah. soul. <laughs> oh god yeah so Lucius broke the rules by doing this early the, this is the oh early well when was he supposed to do it when he'd created the seventh so he'd create an eighth once this was discovered and destroyed but like voldemort's already dead effectively yeah so lucius did it early i yeah. see because he, he didn't never meant to do he it. didn't realize he would come back got it and he Got didn't it. know what it actually was. So yeah. essentially, like, he just thought that Voldemort had given him a bomb. Yeah. And then Voldemort fucked off. And this was when the raids were going on, where Mr. Weasley was doing raids on his Which house. Which is yes. such a great bit of foreshadowing, those yes. raids. Yes. Like, it's fantastic. So he was like, shit, I have this bomb, this hot potato. Yeah. I'm going to just fucking throw and it. And also, yeah. it's a fourfold advantage for him. A, he gets rid of evidence. Mm-hmm. Yeah. B, he incriminates Mr. Weasley. C, he gets Dumbledore kicked out of Hogwarts. 
D, I said fourfold and I meant threefold. So let's just minus that. It's a Hannah can't count this just in. <laughs> but yeah, so essentially Lucius didn't know that it was more than this. So he Got just it. thought that it was like a weapon. D, he kills muggleborns. Yes. Uh, I got the D. Yeah. He kills people. Sorry, to say that again? D, he kills muggleborns. No, you said, you just went, I got the D. I got the D. <laughs> Hannah, I did not need to know that. <laughs> D, he kills Is that how she boys? dances when she does get the D? It is, yeah. 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 But in fairness, how, he wasn't supposed to know better. Voldemort's no, dead. No, Voldemort said to him, don't do this till I tell you. Well, yeah, yeah but in Lucius's mind, and not defend Lucius Malfoy here, <laughs> but in Lucius's right, mind, simp. Voldemort was dead. But that's what Voldemort punishes him for. Voldemort says when mm. he comes out the potion, you are being punished because you believed I was dead. Yeah. Mm. This is like the Whereas entire Pettigrew thing when he... believed I wasn't dead. Yeah, that's... and like Bellatrix and that lot went to Azkaban because they were like, no, he's going to come back and they were willing to be like punished knowing he would come back mm. versus Lucius was like, I'm, I think he's dead and I'm going to get rid of any association. And I'm going to associate with my middle politics. Gonna so throw it that out I there. can live. Gonna throw it out there. This uh the more I hear about this Voldemort guy <laughs> I don't it's think he was great. a very nice guy. No. What? I don't, I don't think he was very nice. <laughs> I can't wait for there to be an eighth Harry Potter book announced where it turns out Voldemort was actually a great guy because he hates the trans. Mm. Mm. Someone kill us before that happens. Please. Thank mm. you. That was genuinely, you know, when people do their like bingo list for like a year. Oh, Mine no. on this year is the announcement of an eighth Harry Potter book yeah. that she will use to entirely retcon mm-hmm. all of remotely any left wing politics. I, I think- because, well, if she does it, she'll decanonize Cursed Child. Yes. And well, she that would be a good thing. Yeah, that would but be then, good then thing. the rest of it is bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, she will somehow write something worse than Cursed Child. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're all like, we all hate Cursed Child. And she decounts it. And we're like, yeah. And she's like, oh no, it's got worse. Yeah, it's, it's definitely <laughs> going to get worse. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. So that's on my, officially saying that's on my bingo mm-hmm. list for um, this year. So Dumbledore says the line, it will take uncommon skill and power to... Uh, kill even the mortal Voldemort. So he's pointing out, even if you killed all six Hallows, you've then got the mortal Voldemort to deal with. You did. Yeah. Wait, can that be a new no, shot? No, not yet. <laughs> not um, not in seven, this episode. Book seven, that's yeah. seven, I'm out of soup. Let's get soup. But this this is basically just dark fruits. This is strong by dark fruits. It's apple and blackcurrant. I don't like it. Do you like dark fruits usually? No. After the discussion of the diary and how Lucius planted it against Voldemort's wishes, mm-hmm. Dumbledore then says it will take uncommon skill and power to kill even the mortal Voldemort after yes. you've destroyed all the Horcruxes. Which, like, although it then lends itself to the discussion of love and Harry's special power... Don't get me started on the love. Oh, no, I'm excited to talk about this because we disagree with it so oh. strongly... It also made me think of the Hallows. And although I think she came up with this quite last minute because she got to book seven and went, there's not enough in it, I need to add an extra element to it. Mm. I do like that the uncommon skill and power could be interpreted as the Hallows because at the end of the day, it is the elder one that wins Harry the final battle. So I like that this does kind of lend itself to hinting to the Hallows. But Dumbledore doesn't say that the uncommon skill and power is the Hallows. He says that it's love. And they begin to have an argument because love is the power that Voldemort knows not, based on the prophecy. And they start arguing about the meaning of the prophecy. And this is what I meant where I get into two pages of notes of how much I love this half of the chapter, just to point out I hate J.K. Rowling. Do you want to talk about love now or in a bit? What do you have before love? 
Uh, what do I have? Charlie looks like she's about to kill herself. <laughs> um, what's wrong? Nothing. Just out the corner of my eye, I've seen you going. Come here, because Come back. you don't Come back. want your hair to look like this on episode. Lean into oh, me. Oh, how dare you? You're so rude. I know, but you don't want it to look like this. There you go. There you and go. it's like you look like shit. Let me fix <laughs> it. No, you had a kind of ch- chicken middle. <laughs> I had a unicorn horn. You had a chicken yeah, chicken middle. You had a chicken little. <laughs> you had like a bit of your back of your fringe just sticking straight upwards. Uh, like the existence of chicken middle implies the existence of chicken big as well. <laughs> Is there... <laughs> and chicken medium. No, no, that's chicken middle. That's chicken, that's chicken middle. middle. And then the chicken little, chicken middle, and chicken big. Chicken big. <laughs> I think we might be talking nonsense. Soup. So, like I said, last time I drank this, I felt like I was floating Soup. for hours. No, yeah, so like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is. I'm like, no, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah no. So they start arguing about the prophecy. This whole like power he knows not argument leads to obviously an argument about the prophecy which is one of my favorite sections of all the books i Mm. know that you hate it but i'm so excited to discuss it with you because i think we have very differing opinions Mm. on it so they start discussing the the prophecy and it goes on and on and on there's paragraphs and paragraphs of back and forth discussion but it starts off with the fact that voldemort chose Harry and this comes down to the thing of there were two people he could have chosen with that prophecy he could have chosen Neville or he could have chosen you but he chose you and therefore he gave you he transferred you which we still don't know for definite at this point but even with the murder of Harry's mother and father he instilled with you the need for revenge therefore he made you have the special power that he is known to not i.e your love causes the need for revenge that power isn't inherent therefore Voldemort is fulfilling the prophecy in his own way he is creating his own downfall in making Harry the person he becomes and all this leads to for the next like paragraphs of discussion is that prophecies are not inherent in Harry Mm. Potter prophecies are not something that definitely comes true because Dumbledore even says do you think every prophecy in the Hall of Prophecy comes true no they're just prophecies and this is something I adore because I think it's a trope in fantasy where you have the prophesized one the chosen like the chosen Mm. one trope you could write an entire essay on the trope of the chosen one again watch Buffy for fuck's sake that's the next podcast I can't watch it now I've been refusing to watch it in case you want to make media about it it's not the next podcast now now we're doing drunk fiction unless to be fair no the episode going up on Monday from when we're filming this so we'll already have the results by when this airs is asking opinions on our next podcast Mm. yes so yeah drunk fiction or Buffy or both let's have three podcasts podcast at once but also this is like one of my favorite fantasy tropes is exactly what you're saying you love is the prophecy not being true for x reasons yeah um, wheel of time does it okay in that there's all of these prophecies around the world about the dragon reborn mm. whoa there we go she spilled the soup there's all of these prophecies around the world of th- this hero who's coming and all of them differ and no one knows if any of them are true yeah and that's quite mm. fun dune sorry does it in the sense that the prophecy has been planted. The whole point of the prophecy in Dune is that it's been planted by the Bene Gesserit over hundreds, thousands of years to then prophesize the eventual coming of perhaps Paul Atreides, who then happens to tick all of the boxes for the prophecy that they themselves have planted. Right. 
it's a complete falsity. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. love that kind of thing where it's yeah. actually other people pulling the strings has created a prophecy. Yeah. Okay. I think that's great. I'm going to let my do so hit. Sorry, what? You didn't say a single human word there. I did a kebab. I think the cure for this is more soup. Yes, it's definitely. The answer is always more soup. Well, I'm going to let myself do something that I haven't this entire podcast in the six seasons where I'm actually going to talk about Buffy in like a spoilery way. Because Do I have to cover my own ears? No, no, no. And I'm going to let you listen. One, because I don't think that we'll end up doing the Buffy podcast. And two, because... This isn't the kind of spoiler that I would worry about you knowing because it's very much like overarching plot kind of thing. It's not something that's going to like ruin any shock value for Mm -hmm. you. So Buffy, I mean, again, this is one of those things, same with JK Rowling. I have to be like, oh, I love this. And I love this like stroke of feminism uh, throughout the series. (laughs) I always forget who makes Buffy and I remember it It really upsets me. (laughs) I love it when you love a work of media and hate the creator. everything i love Mm. so essentially like the concept around buffy and her being the slayer and the chosen one is that like way back in the day all these like vampires and demons were just like running rampant around the world Mm. and that actually what it was is that they're like a group of like men like i guess like warlocks or something came together to be like hey we need someone that can like fight Mm. these like demons and vampires and everything and they essentially did magic so that at any one time there would be one like woman on the planet that would have like the special powers and ability to fight this which is really illogical that you'd be like just one will do in the entire world Mm. it's also really heavily racialized because the first slayer is a black woman um and it's really problematically written it's one of those things where like Joss was clearly writing it being like oh this is you know it really has implication of this group of white men choosing this black woman Mm. that's the one that has the ability to like take on all of these like evil and demons and like she has to do this for us this like group of white men so it's like you know he he was going for he was reaching for something and well, what's funny, and the, the point in you is, is just <laughs> this is the quiz at Haderach from June but the wrong way round interesting because that is this group of women who decided that you know men clearly can't have all of these powers but we know that our chosen one eventually will have to be this man kind of thing yeah so it's kind of like you have this matriarchal society mm. who then know that their chosen one or have planted their chosen one to be a mm. man mm. what he's done is taken that idea flipped it the wrong way around and it's weird and it's i mean weird. i've not read or watched june but mm. also when we get the scenes kind of like i wouldn't exactly reveal how but we essentially get like flashbacks into mm. the like first slayer life mm. it's in the middle of a desert and i know that june's in a desert so <laughs> racist <laughs> and also there's a massive worm there's no massive worm um <laughs> there should be there should always be a massive worm yeah, yeah exactly. no seriously when i started reading the first akatar book i was texting you like massive worm june? <laughs> there's always a massive a worm. worm worm star wars has big worms yeah Everything, Any, everything good's got big worms. Anyway, to continue talking about this like notion of yes. the chosen the one. Chosen essentially, throughout the series, it slowly gets more and more dissected. This notion of like the fact that the, these like group of men have picked this one woman. How fucking impractical that is, especially then with like globalization stuff like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the final series of Buffy. Skip ahead if you don't want 
like spoilers essentially deals with the thing of like okay well we have identified that this is fucking stupid Mm -hmm. that one woman's life gets ruined and the average life expectancy after getting like because whenever a slayer dies another one gets activated and then they live for like three years and then dies and then another one and it's like a really like illogical system so essentially what they decide to do they're like well that's dumb and then they essentially like rework the magic to be like anyone that was a potential slayer because there was always certain women born that had the potential Mm. and would be nurtured by this group of watchers in case they were then activated when the next one would die Mm -hmm. they're basically like what if we were to just activate them all at once that's a good idea i like that yeah and that's essentially what like buffy then like boils down to is this idea of why the fuck is there a chosen one? Yeah. When we can just make the chosen all. Yeah. Like, I like that. I like that yeah. a lot. Mm. Yeah. Mm. The thing is, like, the chosen one as a trope has been around for so long that I think that any form of fantasy media that we read in our generation flips it on its head, which mm. Jake Rowling is not unique for doing this, but I do like her take on it that, like, the, the prophecy is bullshit. Mm. I love anything where the prophecy is bullshit. Yes, mm. like, exactly. Not... Or at least there's doubt on the prophecy. Yeah. Like, yeah. I love that kind of thing. And yeah, her take is, do you know how many prophecies there are? It's only relevant if you act on it. That's mm. amazing that the choice still stands, but the, the prophecy is self-fulfilling because mm. of Voldemort's actions. And like, I still fully can't wrap my head around it. Like it is mm. it is that kind of like choice, 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 choice. Well, this that Star Wars got so close to doing this. Right. Episode seven sets up like a new generation of the same Star Wars, basically. It's like, here we go again. You got your good characters, you got your Mama bad characters. So then you have episode eight, which then takes all of the ideas of you know, prophecy and the good and the bad and starts to break them a bit. Yeah. And it's quite exciting yeah. because the first time I watched it, I didn't like it because it, it so far stepped outside of what you expected from a Star Wars film in that regard. Mm. But it, it started to break it. And in hindsight, that was the cleverest thing they could have done. 100%. And then episode nine, they panicked so much after the reaction to episode eight, they went, oh, no, actually, uh, uh, prophecies are fine, uh, and it's all exactly as it used to be. Yeah. Mm. And they just, they binned what could have been actually the most interesting Star Wars yeah. trilogy. Yeah. I, w- I will say a terrible execution of this is Alice in Twilight. Where, again... Sorry, I thought you were talking about some kind of Alice in Wonderland no. Twilight crossover. I was like, what's Alice in Twilight? No, no, as in the character Alice in Twilight. <laughs> Sorry. Like, again, I think that this fits into the conversation off the podcast me and Hannah were having, like, a couple of days ago about, like, tropes in this, like, era of... and, like, ilk of fantasy. Mm. But, yeah, it's kind of... She overpowered a character so much and then kind of had to write in these really, like, junkily written nonsensical, like, limitations mm-hmm. on prophecy. Yeah. Like... You can do prophecy, and the thing is you can add limitations to prophecy in a yeah. really, really easy way. And the way that she did it just made no sense. Yeah, mm-hmm. whereas, again, the reason why I just did that disclaimer an hour earlier is because I'm about to compliment J.K. Rowling. The fantasticness of her... down me. You're both souped now. The fantasticness of her using your inherent belief of prophecy so what she does is use the inherent literally literary not literally literary Mm. trust in prophecy from all the other stories you've read growing up 
to subvert it is amazing. Like, she wasn't the first one to do it. I'm mm. not going to give her that credit. But, you know, you have all these stories throughout history of the chosen one. And she uses that canon to subvert it by being like, so what? There's thousands of prophecies and it only got fulfilled because Voldemort started it. And it's a brilliant subversion because there's no magic in it. There's no special power. It's just someone said it. Why do you have to follow it? Why? Mm. And Voldemort mm. chose to start following it and therefore it set you off on a path. And that's that's what the next portion of the chapter is about, which we'll, we'll talk about. Uh, but the subversion is so simple because it relies on the reader's inherent knowledge. And it's the thing is, she's aiming it at children. It's not like 12-year-olds have thought about the canon of the chosen one, mm -hmm. but already in their head, because of the amount of literary history we have on the chosen one, they will have set up that the chosen one has to defeat the evil one. So she's subverting an expectation that's built up in the heads of young readers without you even realising, and that's a very clever thing to do. Disney mm -hmm. films, isn't it? It is, exactly, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that you will grow up watching, you know, these days Frozen, back in our day, you and know, Jungle Book one. or whatever. Without, without it being called one, although Harry yes. Potter calls it out over the top by Harry being called the chosen it one. It is a chosen the one. The chosen one trope exists in all of Disney. Mm -hmm. Dumbledore basically says in so many paragraphs over and over again <laughs> that the prophecy isn't inherent Voldemort fulfilled it Voldemort kicked off the prophecy and kickstarted his own downfall in creating the person that could defeat him in Harry mm -hmm. Harry became the person that could defeat him and the prophecy would not have been fulfilled if Voldemort did not begin this path because Harry's desire for revenge is not something he was born with as the chosen one. It's something that was created by Voldemort's actions. Yes. Yeah. And he also yeah. quite literally was like handed the tools to be able to. Exactly. Mm. The insight into his mind. Every single tool he has. Etc. Yeah. <laughs> Every single tool he has from the desire for revenge because his father was killed to the ability to love because his mother stood in front of him was handed to him by Voldemort, by the actions that Voldemort did. And even the magical protection that he carries through his veins was a direct result of Voldemort's action by Voldemort making Lily stand in front of the cot. Because although we view that as like a crazy act, it is displayed in Harry Potter that most mothers yeah. would stand in front of their young... I'd do that. I, we all... I don't really yeah. like children, so I wouldn't. But would you do it for Todd? Yes. Then there therefore you you'd do it. It doesn't matter that Todd's a cat. You'd do it. It doesn't matter that Todd's a cat because he's my child. Well, exactly. And I birthed him. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. This time last year, I was very heavily pregnant with Todd. Like, Lily's actions are not unique. She's not... Mm. It sounds mm. mean to say she's not special for doing that because <laughs> that form of love... <laughs> is the human experience yeah. i think that's yeah. what jake here is trying to get at that form of love however you feel it and she may not have expressed it in the best way but that form of love however you feel it is inherent because at the end of the day ron does the same thing for harry and hermione does the same thing for harry they would stand with their own body to prevent him from but th dying. this is where we start to dip into what i actually and harry like does it, it for a fucking load of people yes exactly but the way that it is described in this chapter it almost describes it like an inherent good and bad 
and I don't like that. Oh, do you that. think? I think it's very nuanced in this chapter. I don't think it's nuanced at all. Uh, I think he's saying you're a good boy because you can love and therefore you're good. I don't like that. Oh, see, I view it as very... I view it as this is one of the most nuanced chapters no. in the book. I think from that regard, I love what you're saying about how it's the choices. and st- I think that's great. But I think when it's like, oh, you're different though because you can love... So you're. A good, I, you're I get good. what you're saying. It's a bit yeah. like yeah, a lot of people can. Like yeah, it's, it's, if it's anything, like, you can't. But then that still like... that still creates a really inherent good and bad. Yeah. Like right. I I don't think Voldemort is incapable of love. Like I I don't think because if you say that he is, you're then implying that he is a pure evil. And well, we see some of these old chapters, and I don't th- I don't think he is pu- so... like. I do buy into him not being able to love because yeah. I buy into the whole like love potion, blah blah blah. Mm. We've had conversations about my like t- t- weird concept of like some literal like mm. the love being sucked out of the <laughs> love yeah, ability we, being out, sucked our, out of the this sperm. This is one of our main disagreements <laughs> over the love potion theory. Mm. Yeah, so I I do buy in the, into the notion of him like literally not being able to love but I do get what you're saying I, yeah. I, it's really weird to be like oh Harry your special power is that you can love because it's like surely, surely that's the default setting yeah, yeah. Um, and also like the point of the story should be that anyone can love because what I find that one of the most amazing things in the seventh book is that the thing that saves Harry is Narcissa's ability to love because she is an, an inherently evil character mm. but her ability to love her own son I wouldn't say that she's inherently evil she's definitely like assigned to the like bad side okay. yeah. but I so wouldn't she's... say as a character we see enough of her to say she's inherently uh, okay, evil what I meant to say by that is previously to that moment she sees mm. inherently evil but the switch is the moment where she has to save her own son and because of her ability to love the same as Lily's the same as a lot of people's in the moment she has to save the one she loves and that saves Harry's life yeah um and I love that because it shows you that whatever side you're on your ability to love and it separates Voldemort because he's never had that ability mm. Mm. I still I feel like it still creates deep down an inherent good slash bad, and I think I don't know. I do agree, and I I think it's sound how Voldemort phrases it because he should say that like this is the advantage that you specifically have over Voldemort. Mm. But mm. I think that the issue you said Voldemort, you said ah, ah! you did it. I heard what? you do it. No, she I, did it, I said she? this is the advantage that Harry has over Voldemort. But because before he you that, love. you said Voldemort says that this is the inherent Harry Voldemort has over that. Harry. Oh, did I? Yeah, yeah, you did. Okay, well, you had to go get the shot because I'm. Well, no, 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 there it is, there it is, there it is, oh, there no. it is, there it is, there it is. Hi. Your knees! <laughs> oh my god, your knees again! Yeah, so I think I think what I was saying, I don't really remember, is that Dumbledore phrases it in a way that it's like Harry's like specific advantage over Voldemort when really it's like anyone's advantage over Voldemort. Yeah, like yeah. I you know, don't get me wrong, I'm sure that there are some people that'd be like, No, I'm not gonna sacrifice myself for everyone in the way that Harry does, but I do feel like it's a the majority of people would make that choice. Well, this mm. is something I get to in one of my next points. But I don't want to skip ahead because I'm too drunk and I'll get confused. But before that, Dumbledore says the line, tyrants fear those that they oppress. Which just yes, upset, I wrote this down. And this upset me so much. Yes. Because it isn't Dumbledore that wrote that. 
J.K. Rowling wrote that, and it upset me so much because that made that made me a little teary when I read it. It did. It made me like literally tear up because yeah. how dare she write that, and then she fulfill her own prophecy? Like she literally fulfilled. I literally wrote she's fulfilled a prophecy she herself set up. She's fallen into her own trap mm. of you oppress people, and then you are terrified of those that you oppress. Yeah. Yeah. The thing that annoyed me about the love thing specifically in this chapter is it feels like Harry has no real chance to like turn. He doesn't have any in- internal turmoil or like internal like No, but Dumbledore does give him that choice in the next few sentences but and that's it, what I love. But it doesn't feel like it's legitimate. But that's the point because yeah. he could never ever it be legitimate because inherently in him he has to beat Voldemort. But it, it's annoying that we're not even given the chance for him to doubt that. Okay, 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 okay. I'm disagreeing with both of you because okay. I both agree and disagree but Neil, what you missed is our discussion in their next episode that we recorded yesterday. Yeah. The scene directly after this is yeah. Septim Sempra yeah. when this chapter, Dumbledore's like Harry, you would never even dream of using dark magic. You mm. have never been tempted, and that's what sets you apart. And in the next cha- chapter, Harry is quite literally tempted. He falls for this, you know, he's he's developed this parasocial relationship with mm. the Half-Blood Prince, mm. and he performs dark magic yeah. because he has been tempted yeah. by the Half-Blood but Prince. But how does he feel about it? That's the thing. That's the J.K. Rowling's writing falls down. It's never written this brilliant, brilliant chapter, and then it is never developed. Harry never has that internal moral. So we actually agree. No, but this is what I'm saying. I'm kind of in between you two because, like, this is the thing. I I believe that it was there, and I don't know if she wrote in, it got edited out, or I don't know if she was just like, eh, that doesn't matter. She Mm. essentially, in the end, only uses it as a plot device to get Harry and Ginny together. Mm. But essentially, like, it's it's. The foundation is there and it just never gets expanded upon. But it's, oh, that's so annoying. It's, it's literally like Dumbledore's like, you were different and mm. you can take down Voldemort mm. literally because you have never, ever been tempted. Mm. And then in the next chapter, Harry gets tempted and yeah. uses dark magic. And at no point does Harry have any kind of internal battle or self-reflection to go, oh my God, I was tempted. Does this mean that I am not the person and that yeah. I cannot take down Voldemort? It's right there. Yeah. It's right there. She wrote it and she just didn't follow through. Yeah. And that would make it so much better to see Harry have this internal battle of, oh my God, like I, I did this thing and yes, I didn't mean to and I didn't know I was doing dark magic, but I was tempted like... For, like. Ah! Drink the... D- in shot! She drank it, ladies and gents. No, no, I haven't. Oh, you drank, drank some of it. Tiny bit. Some bend of it down. In. There we go. <laughs> we knew this was going to be the worst chapter for this. It's it's also for like someone that likes to write grey characters. Mm. It's so black and white for her to be like, if you have ever been tempted, then you are bad. Mm-hmm. Like. There's no nuance with that. Like, I'm sorry, you can be tempted and you can do bad things without being a bad person. And this is something that I personally believe so much, like... Well, this is the thing that... Sorry, I'll interrupt you. No, 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 but like, you know, like, we know particular people in our lives that Mm. have done very bad things because they were in very bad 
personal circumstances mm. and I don't mm. believe that that makes them bad people but if you put someone in such a bad circumstance not a single person is ever going to handle that perfectly yeah. Yeah. and I feel like the way that Dumbledore phrases this is you were the person to take him down like you were the person that loves and the purest soul or whatever because you've never been tempted and never done a bad thing in your life and it completely lacks any nuance of like yeah. the idea of learning or the idea of being in such a shit situation that there is no correct path because that's a very real thing with ethics and morality that sometimes there is no way to not harm anyone. Mm. Like sometimes there is always going to be a casualty and it, it does be- seem very like black and white from JK Rowling to be like, you've never been, you've never done a bad thing in your life. Yeah. And therefore you're okay. We don't get what to explore would, the greyness at what all. I would, what I also would have loved is for her to explore more, and I think it's explored slightly in book seven, but not enough, mm. is that even by choosing what you believe to be the most moral path, there will be casualties because in war, in this situation where Voldemort is being so evil, even if you choose the most moral path Ever, in the effort to destroy him there will be casualties like Dobby was an inevitable casualty mm. and I think that was, should have been explored in more depth because Harry could have chosen the most moral path ever but people like Mad-Eye for example as well mm. were still going to die and I think that's a very very mm. key point of the books and it's, it's also like okay so like this entire thing is supposed to be that there is a war going on mm. and especially like the Battle of Hogwarts is the final battle in a war. In war, whilst you may have what history perceives to be the good side and the bad side, one, you have that because history is written by the winner, and two, the good side still commits atrocities. Like, we won the Second World War. We still did the whole, you know, nuke shit. We still sent so many innocent people to go fight for us that died. Like, yeah. you know, I'm not going to start a whole conversation about, like, the moralities of war because we'll be here for another four hours. But just because good people do bad things doesn't mean that they are necessarily on the bad side. Like, doesn't Mm. mean that they're necessarily on the good side either. But there is absolutely a whole swampy mess of greyness in between. That's why fantasy is so readable, because you want to read around the... Around? The the literally... (laughs) The literary beautifulness <laughs> of the swampy greatness. Yeah. Mm. Episodes like this do make me uh, appreciate when people like, you know, the they go from drunk to discussing good things because this is literally us really drunk and also really caffeinated, trying to have like really deep intellectual The literary greatness of the swampy us. <laughs> the one I will stand by is that, uh, as you can see here in my notes, love, lame, is what I've written. <laughs> I think you're wrong. I... I still have two pages to prove you're wrong. Can I just say that I am so fascinated by the fact that we try and have these incredibly drunk, deep conversations. Can someone please send us footage, send us a voice note, send us something of you and at least one friend drunk trying to have a conversation? Doesn't have to be about Harry Potter. Mm. Ideally about something that we have read, watched, consumed. Um, I just want to see other people trying to do this because it's so hard. So, last night... It's almost like we created the antithesis of our own podcast. We were like, deep conversations, Neil's about to be like, last night I was really uh, drunk and talking about June. Last night, me and my mates uh, decided to explore the question after a few drinks. What is the most number of vegetables you can pick up? 
I mean, that's not deep. That's no, it's not, deep. it's not deep. But we're the talking point about is, no, 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 I know. love in Harry Potter. But the point is, we were so you know we'd had quite a lot to drink. We're talking about the morality morality of war. And rather than just go like, oh, I don't know, maybe carrots. We explored it to a depth that took us several hours. Surely if you pick up a fuckload of peas, that's going to be more... Great point. It's like, right. it depends yeah, on Yeah, surely the, if you like... do that with peas, you've got more than the amount you could so, ever hold of So carrots. it depends how you're measuring it. You're measuring it in terms of dimensions or weight or, like, um, servings. Mm. Individual items. Then peas, peas, if you do that. Uh, I think if you... This is where we got to. If you were doing this... With loads of bean sprouts, and you were compressing them against your chest. That is more than the number of peas you could hold in a couple of hands. And we got out like calculators to actually really puzzle. You're stopping out. talking now. We're carrying on with the chapter. Okay. Okay. Vault. She did it. No, I didn't. No, she did D- it. Dumbledore. No. no, she's trying to lie away through it. Off you go. I meant to say Voldemort. Get some grapper. No, you didn't. Pass it to me. I'm not getting up. If you can't pass it to me, I'm not Do doing it. Do you want a new shot glass? Because I did shot from that. I don't care. Okay. Enjoy your cold. <laughs> Take it, please. Mmm, <laughs> yummy, yummy. Yummy. Tastes of dust. Dumbledore's wearing glittering robes. I had this same note. Yeah, How just, didn't we know? I mean, we so didn't know, gay. but like... So gay. It, yeah, this is like, uh, not to, you know, stereotype, but this is not a straight man behaviour. No, he's just swanning around in this point in conversation wearing glittering robes. I feel like as a child, I was like, yes, of course they're glittering. He's magic. He's a wizard. And now I'm like, yeah. Gay. Maybe. So Dumbledore says, in many ways... Harry should be evil. He can number one see into Voldemort's mind. He shares this mind connection with him, which is hints for the end of book seven. He was raised in a cruel, abusive environment. He was never shown love. He has parcel tongue, like the ability to speak parcel tongue. But because of the factors that Voldemort imparted him, he parted in him. He has never become evil. He has the ability to love. And, like, I think there's this distinction, which I feel that in your love lame interpretation, you're missing. And love doesn't just mean I fancy someone. I don't think that's what it means. That's not then why do you think, think it's like. Neil's because... like, uh, actually, sorry, women are objects. So, <laughs> what, uh... What's that great line in Arrested Development where he's like, Job, are you in love? And he's like, I know what an erection is, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what I think it is. Okay. Because I don't think Dumbledore ever means love in the sense that Harry's talking about just like how much he fancies Ginny. No, God, that's not what I think he means. When he's talking about Lily No, I'm sorry, I do and... agree with Neil that love is lame. <laughs> it's so lame. He's talking so about lame. Lily and everyone else. He's talking about the, the ability to feel empathy and compassion yeah. and everything else. That's lame. So lame. That's so lame. What are you talking about? The bad guys, a lot of the bad guys in these books can also have the capacity to feel compassion. It's creating this sort of complete black and white other of the bad guy. And this is why Voldemort's such a shit villain because there's this this thing of he can't feel love and also he looks like a massive fucking weirdo. And this is why Umbridge is such a good villain because Mm. she's a realistic villain that you fucking know. And this is why, theoretically, Grindelwald is a fantastic villain. 
but sadly, you know, that's not it's, gone the way uh, we wanted it to. It's in the books. Yes. Uh, and then everything after. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Theoretically. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you guys... I'm so glad we're both team love is lame. Love is lame. Yeah. I know God, what you Hannah. guys are saying, but I like the inherent point here. I like the over the idea, but it, it's the black and whiteness she creates that I don't like. Okay. So, yeah, Dumbledore says that the way Harry's raised with cruelty, parcel tongue, the being able to see into Voldemort's mind, that Harry should have flipped into the evil side because he had every marker of some... Basically, this point is what's being made in Book 7, that him and Snape and Voldemort had the same upbringing, the cruelty and everything else. I do like the thing in Book 7 of him and Snape and Voldemort having inherently the same upbringing and they choose three different parts harry choosing the good snape choosing the gray and voldemort choosing the evil like i know it's oversimplified but i like the inherent message of it in a teenage book i i do know it's oversimplified but i like the symbolism in it genuinely at this point i've drunk so much dragon soup that inside my brain is literally just the <laughs> So yeah, Vold... Dumbledore... Uh, no, I didn't! No, I meant no, you did! You did! You did! Grapper. No, I'm not doing it! Grapper. I've drunk so... No, I feel like I'm going to die. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. What's she I'm doing? not... What, what are you trying to do, though? Where are you I'm, going? I'm to pierce. So yeah, Dumbledore is basically talking about how the ability to love isn't just love. It's not, like, just love. It's the ability to basically feel to feel empathy and compassion which Dumbledore which Voldemort can't don't I'm not going to don't I'm not going to. okay but then you have to do one next episode that's yeah. fine I'm not going to wait no in two episodes yeah that's fine and Harry is pure of heart and therefore could never do that and that's the reason why he's the only one to kill Voldemort but then we get into a discussion which isn't like Harry isn't the only one to kill Voldemort he isn't the only pure of heart which is my favourite bit about the books yes he's the only one pure of heart Voldemort has given him all these skills but then you look at all the other people who Voldemort has hurt in this lifetime and Harry is not the only one yes Harry has the most reason to kill Voldemort because of every single thing that Voldemort has imparted in him but if you look at Neville, Ron, Hermione every single one of the Weasleys from Molly who they killed both of his brothers to Fred to Lavender, Parvati literally every single person in these books who we count as a good person they all have the same abilities harry does they all have the same inherent anger and love that harry does because they've all been given the same tools because they've all had someone they love murdered to someone close to them that they love murdered and therefore they all have these inherent tools to kill Voldemort. And Harry is not the chosen one. He is, but so is everyone else. And this is what I love, that Neville could also be the chosen one. Ron could also be the chosen one. Hermione could also be the chosen one because Voldemort has scarred so many lives. He has ruined so many lives. Mm. And all of them could be the chosen one. Harry just happens to be the one that Dumbledore trusts to give the information. 
Is no one else going to talk? Love is lame, though. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. Kind of lame. I like what you're saying. I just think the justification given for it is lame. Yeah. Well, okay, if none of the either of you are going to talk, Dumbledore then says that Harry doesn't have to kill Voldemort. You could <laughs> Harry walk- what? Has to kill Voldemort? Doesn't have to. Mm-hmm. He could walk away now. The prophecy like doesn't count. It doesn't matter. It's not a real thing. He could walk away now and he could have always walked away. But the whole point of the books is that Harry would never walk away because in the act of murdering his parents, in the act of torturing Neville's parents, Harry w- could not live if he didn't kill Voldemort, Harry could not survive on this earth because he's so angry. But nor could the majority of people, and I don't think that this is because Harry had some incredible capacity to love. But that's what I like about it, that if Harry dies, he is not the chosen one in the way that the books describe. If Harry dies, that does not mean that Voldemort reigns. This is where I'm going to totally say that Cursed Child doesn't exist. I get it, but like my thing is that I think feel like the way that Voldemort described <laughs> we can bank these for next episode no but this is what I've always liked about it that Harry could die or give up and Ron would carry on Hermione would carry on Neville would carry on Mrs Weasley would carry on Mr Weasley would carry but on but that's why the love thing is annoying because anyone would do the same but Dumbledore portrays it's like Harry has this really exclusive ability to love Mm. and I feel like this isn't even the capacity to love this is just like a capacity to feel like empathy Mm. but is empathy not a form of love no well yeah but Dumbledore describes it as like a really special thing I, Mm. I, I can feel empathy for people I've never met before that doesn't mean I love them but I think it's a dull form of love I think that's no what Dumbledore is saying but it's not special no, it's not. I think that's what Dumbledore is saying. No. That Harry is no, special. Like, I get it. But, like, I my point is, is that, yes, I agree with the point that you're saying. But I feel like the way that it's phrased by Dumbledore in this scene is very, like, you were special because you have this capacity to love that Voldemort doesn't. But, like, it is anyone. And I get that that's the point that you're making. But I'm just saying, in terms of the way that Dumbledore actually explicitly says it, it's, like, this really, like you could have the same conversation with any number of people. It's just the way that the way he frames it is like Harry almost doesn't have a choice. Oh, but that's what I love about this chapter that Dumbledore says you have a choice, you could walk away now, but I know you're not going to. Yeah, but well, that's exactly the problem. It's not like he's saying you could walk away now and you might. He's saying you're not going to, that, you know, you're special. I don't like that. But he's saying you could. And Harry says, no, I never could no, no, he no. killed my dad. No, no, but he's saying, like, you could, but you're not going to because you had the capacity to love as if he had the same conversation with anyone else, they mm. would. Mm. Like, I agree what you're saying. Like, I love the fact that it's, like, a conversation that could be had with anyone else. But I think that there is, like, an issue with the way that Dumbledore phrases it as if he can only be having this conversation with Harry and he's like this is your specific power and it's like I'm pretty sure the grand majority of people would make the same choice as Harry does Mm. but the way Dumbledore phrases it is he's like this is your special power Mm. and it's like no this is just that you aren't Voldemort Dumbledore's basic point in this whole end of the chapter is that the prophecy means nothing it is it is a self-fulfilling prophecy that Voldemort 
uses because he is both uneducated and obsessed with the history and the wisdom world and therefore he is too obsessed with the prophecy and Harry then views it right at the end of the chapter as the difference between being dragged into arena to face your death and walking in with your head held high. And this is where I had the note that Harry is being brainwashed. Oh, yeah. Because he he's allowed to be dragged into the arena. There is no glory in walking to your death. Mm. At a certain point, and you can have this wider argument about the whole Gryffindor bravery, the line between bravery and stupidity. At a certain point, it's stupidity it is don't get me wrong i like i see the choices that harry are making and i would almost definitely make the same ones myself but harry is being brainwashed here there is an an amount of gaslighting that is happening here by dumbledore being like you were so great you can love and no one else can Mm. you only you have not been tempted by the dark arts only you are so pure of heart and have the ability to love that you can do this Mm. that is gaslighting he is manipulating and molding him into the person that he needs to be he is not Mm. giving harry any room for grayness any room for error he is molding a young easily manipulated easily influenced vulnerable person into the person that he needs to be to do this and don't get like i'm not saying this like it's shitty writing like this is like very interesting and good writing but it's like he's literally purposely intentionally giving harry no option to be like yeah 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 i've never been tempted which is again why it sucks that literally in the next chapter he's tempted and uses the dark arts and has just no thought process behind it if anything it would be so interesting to use this use the septum sempra chapter as the catalyst of harry in this book starting to have doubts about dumbledore and then continuing this in the next book as opposed to starting it from afresh in the next book like this should be when harry starts to have doubts in in dumbledore's idea of absolute like pure morality as opposed to like this gray area and it just sucks that like he does that I mean, that JK doesn't expand on it this far. Like, she very much has this notion of you have to be pure of heart and just completely perfect and innocent to be on the good side and to do the good thing. And it's like, no, you can do bad things. You can be a really shitty person and still be on the right side of history or still make the right decision in the end. Again, Draco is a really great example of this. She starts to go down that path and then just doesn't pull it off. Like... Mm. It's like she starts to write grey characters and then pulls back on it and goes, actually, there is only the good or the bad. Like, this should be when Harry starts to think, is Dumbledore right? Is this the right thing? Is he right about me? And it would be so interesting for Harry to reflect on this, like, oh, God, maybe I'm not the chosen one. Maybe I'm not the person with the particular skill set to actually, you know, take down Voldemort. And then in the seventh book, he should start to have doubts in Voldemort, in Dumbledore, two for the next episode. And that's when he should start to realise it's not me that is the problem. It's not me that isn't equipped to take down Voldemort. It's Dumbledore's setting up of me as to have to be this completely perfect, pure person in order to take down someone far worse at the end of the day you can have two awful horrible people if one takes down the lesser evil that's still a good thing you don't have to be a perfect person 
to take down someone worse. Obviously, this doesn't apply to day-to-day life. Like, unless you're literally going to go fight Katie Hopkins or Boris, that's fine. The last point I had in this chapter was just about the use of language, which I think, like, ties into the point you've just said. Like, Harry is thinking through all these internal messages that Dumbledore is giving him about, like, being a good person person, being an evil person and that inherent thing. And he talks about how that mental thing of, like, it's the difference between being dragged into an arena to face your death versus walking with your head held high. And Harry uses the words, and so do I. And this is one of the only instances in Harry Potter where it switches not to a first-person narration. The whole narration doesn't switch. But the the third-person narrator switches to allowing us to see and so do I as in that use of the first person narration within the third person narration and it's powerful that she uses that instance for this moment to allow us to see inside Harry's head because it's so rarely used of that use of and so do I so that for this one moment we see as Harry makes this choice of I finally understand what Dumbledore is saying and yes is a nuanced point and yes Harry then turns against Dumbledore in the seventh book which I fully believe I'm fully with Harry with of yes Dumbledore is not an inherently good person he's in fact a very morally grey character who's manipulating Harry to feel these feelings of I am the good person I am the morally good when he wasn't everyone is morally grey he just has to he is the moral that that will eventually fight against Voldemort but I like this use of the switch to the first person narration for Harry to feel this moment I feel like this might be a weird statement to make but I feel like in a way it kind of ties back to the concept of like sacrificing the virgin yeah it ties into this thing like Harry has to be so like pure and innocent and perfect to create that sacrifice and maybe he does within the context, but does he? Yeah. Does he? We can mm. allow Harry faults. He's yeah. a dumb bitch. Yeah. Neil's scared to speak. Yeah. <laughs> Good. We have All a men question, should be. Oh, yeah. I don't know where my phone is. And I feel really drunk. So, the question that we have is from Michael, who says Do you think Harry seals Dobby's fate in Deathly Hallows way back at the end of Chamber of Secrets? When freeing Dobby, he says in the book, Just promise never to try and save my life again. Dobby smiles back in agreement. Does this create a similar magical bond to the unbreakable vow, which Dobby then breaks by saving everyone from that? Oh, fuck. From <laughs> by saving everyone from Alfoy Manor and the old. And ultimately costs his life. Fuck you, Michael. Yes. Jesus Christ. Yes, think Michael. Well done, but yes. <sighs> this is an interesting idea. I think it's a nice one to explore, like just as a thought experiment. As magical, like binding promises. I, I, my gut answer is no. I think it. I don't think that creates any kind of actual magical Why? bond. Because when we're talking about actual unbreakable vows, it's like a whole thing. But no, I think but that there's... whole self-magic is different. Yeah. Like, mm, he has uh... to... If he's, like, going against previously, he has to, like... Obey. Self-harm, essentially. Yeah. yeah. 
So maybe it's not the exact like black and white magic of the unbreakable vow, but we mm. do get established that Dobby, whilst Harry isn't his like master, mm. Dobby can choose. And I think Dobby literally says that he can choose to obey anyone that he chooses. And he again and again chooses Harry. And I don't think it's as black as white as he has to obey him however much he hates it. But in the kindness that Harry shows Dobby in book two he creates a bond which Dobby does have to obey in a way that he loves Harry. But it's not like like in previous examples of Dobby disobeying something, he then hurts himself. Okay, but I don't think that Dobby in the previous examples we see is disobeying. I think mm. it's not like he's been specifically told you cannot go to Harry Potter and warn him. Mm. I think there may be an implied, don't do that, but there isn't explicitly, which is maybe the in-between of that's why he just has to harm himself, not actually like... But because what, what, it's not mm. explicit instructions, it's just heavily implied. But what we're talking about here is almost karmic. It's like because he disobeyed Harry, he died. But it's not like Dobby hurt himself. Dobby happened to die because he happened to disobey no, Harry. No, but like... I don't is... think it's happened... Mm. I think it is a written full circle. Mm. But I, I just feel like if Dobby had, in transporting them, f- happened to fall on a knife. No, but I. You know what I mean? But like, I don't know if difference. it is some kind of comic because at the end of the day, we never see how death happens when an unbreakable vow is broken. Yeah. Mm. We never see that. We don't know that it's that they drop down dead just of miscellaneous causes like it could be that there's some kind of um oh god what's that horror series a final destination we don't know that there's not some kind of like final destination like and that the reason that it didn't apply to dobby before is that he's not like breaking a specific like you know do not tell harry this but he knows that it's kind of in the in-between. I guess it's kind of similar to the difference between seeing the basilisk through a mirror or through water, some kind of reflection, and directly seeing the basilisk. Mm. If you kind of get the link I'm making there. No, I don't. I, I kind of... I kind of see Dobby as a character throughout the books that has to die for Harry because of his unflinching love for Harry because Dobby in the end is like... I get what you're saying. My face is at the notion of that. Yeah, I... At the notion, I agree with your face, but like Ron and Hermione are complex characters. Dobby, again and again, is pure good. He doesn't have any of that nuance. He is pure good, and therefore he has to, in a literary sense, die for Harry. Mm. So I do kind of see that the promise he makes at the end of book two, try not to kill me again, is his own comeuppance. I see what the questions answer. Try not to save him again. Try, Try not to, to save kill him. me again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Dobby's is actually a serial killer hell-bent <laughs> on killing Harry. Trying to save me again is his own comeuppance. Yeah. <laughs> Dobby yeah. loves Huey Lewis in the news. <laughs> Dobby thinks they really came into their own in their fourth album. <laughs> I kind of like the fucked up idea that it is essentially like an unbreakable vow. Mm. And maybe, you know, we never dive into the origins of house elves and house elf magic because J.K. Rowling has about three brain cells and can't explore it. But I kind of like the idea that maybe this is some way back when magic, similar to an unbreakable vow that has been Mm. cast on an entire species, that Mm. they will 
obey. Mm. And that will explain it. That would explain a lot more. Yeah. About households in general. Because it is never established. Obviously, we get the kind of like punishing themselves. But mm. the thing is, if it if it was only punishing themselves, creature would betray harry early on in their relationship if it was just that he was gonna have to you know microwave his hands or something so it must be something more than that and the reason that um before only has to punish himself is because he's not actually disobeying specific orders Mm. just implied yeah it's a it's a great example of an idea that joanne just didn't quite finish yeah it's like it's almost there there's a lot of good things yeah and it's also a a good example of like the reader's ownership of media because this isn't expanded upon so it is up to the reader to decide what Mm. they want i really like this theory i've actually somehow never heard this before but i do like this theory in terms of being like i've never heard this either oh this is fucking dark and i fucking love that shit yeah it's dark and i like it yeah like the idea of you know it's some kind of like karmic final destination thing where mm. he tried to save his life again and, and that, was, yeah. that was in itself yeah. it's fucking brutal i love it yeah mm. i like it a lot that's the end of the episode finally eight we're cans. about to record four different episode endings eight but... cans of dragon soup and we need to do one intro as well thank you for listening to this episode everything we'll mention which i don't remember will be in the description we now have to do a weird intro. I'm actually going to have to lie outside because I'm. I feel very drunk. And yet, you two think that I should go home for three hours now. Yes, you should. You should get out. I fucking hate you, Neil. Get on the train. Thank you for listening to this episode of Goblet of Wine. To find us on social media, search at Goblet of Wine Pod on Twitter or at Goblet of Wine Podcast on Instagram. We also have a website over at www.gobletofwine.co.uk where you can keep up with everything that we do. This podcast is produced by our wonderful Hufflepuff tier patrons Yolanda, Sir Bandersnatch, Samuel, Patrick, Nick, Michael, Meg, Kylie, Cara and Molly, Jasmine, Florian. Ash and Arthur. If you'd like to support this podcast, check out our Goblet of Wine Patreon, where you can also gain access to bonus episodes, behind-the-scenes content, and our Discord. Bye! Bye.